and welcome back to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today we have one of our classic episodes where we are comparing the National Treasure film franchise to another movie out in the pop culture universe that has pretty much nothing to do with National Treasure. I think that's kind of this like subset of episodes we have going on. Yep, that's pretty fair. <laughs> I mean, if you all have been with us for a while, we've we've compared National Treasure to The Da Vinci Code. We've compared the films to Indiana Jones. That was a blast, actually, and very controversial. <laughs> um, and we actually have a whole list of movies and, and TV shows we want to compare these films to. Today's might catch you all by surprise, though. You think, Em? I was certainly surprised. Okay, so we will obviously dive into an episode breakdown in just a moment, but since I know you're all just dying with suspense, today we will be comparing the National Treasure film franchise to, drumroll please, so that's what drums sound like these days, huh? (laughs) We will be comparing National Treasure to Ocean's 8. Yes, indeed. Ocean's 8, which is a movie that I had not seen before we decided to do this episode. Aubrey very kindly was the one who suggested this, and I'm really glad she did because what a fantastic movie it it truly was. I'm so glad you agree. There were really two reasons I wanted us to compare National Treasure to, to this movie. Number one really has everything to do with Emily, who is our take down the patriarchy guru here on this show. Mm-hmm. And Ocean's 8 is just an exemplary showing of women doing amazing things, even if they're illegal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought Emily would appreciate that. But number two, from the perspective of, you know, the National treasure universe i thought it would be interesting to take a look at a pure heist film i think that's really what oceans eight is Mm -hmm. and look at national treasure through that lens because i'm pretty sure in the past we've really characterized these films as as adventure meets treasure hunt meets heist and i think the piece of that triad we spend the least time talking about is the heist part so that's really where this idea came from Yeah. And I mean, what a great one it is. The heist part of the movies is really something that I enjoy a lot. And I think is honestly part of what draws a lot of people in. Uh, Like the the treasure hunt is cool. But when you when you think about it, you know, we always talk about it. Like, what are you thinking about? Well, he's stealing the Declaration of Independence. He's kidnapping the president of the United States. Right. Those are the those are the heist parts that we're talking about uh, continuously here. For sure. And so we're excited to break all of that down for you. I think this is actually going to be really fun. But before we do that, we would be remiss if we did not have our customary segment that we like to call Screams from Parkington Lane. Now, just as a reminder, or if you're new to the show, Screams from Parkington Lane is the part of our episode where Emily and I acknowledge that we are just so far gone into the atmosphere of national treasure, and it affects every part of our daily lives. So we like to say we're just deep in that national treasure pit. And what pit is there in national treasure other than Parkington Lane? So here we are, Emily. How has national treasure affected your life in the past week in an unexpected way? What's your scream? Well, Aubrey, my scream involves my very lovely but geeky boyfriend who wears nothing but Superman t-shirts. 
Um, I <laughs> have literally, uh, aside from wearing soccer jerseys, I have never seen the man in anything but a Superman t-shirt. Uh, so the other uh, last weekend when he came to visit, he showed up and, you know, the, the way that it works in my apartment complex is you have to walk a little bit across the grass from the parking lot to get to the door. So, you know, there's like a bit of awkward waiting time where you don't really know what to do. And I was awkwardly waiting for him to make his way over to me. And I noticed his shirt and I was like, well, this is a new one. I haven't seen this before. And lo and behold, it was one of the National Treasure Hunt shirts. It was the one that said, ask me what's on page 47, to which I was like, yes. And I, it like literally made my week. It was the most exciting thing. And like I said, this is a man who wears nothing but Superman t-shirts and soccer jerseys. And he was wearing a National Treasure Hunt t-shirt. So that's dedication right there. What a supportive boyfriend. Shout out to you, Josh. Well done. Aubrey, what about you? You always have a good one for us. Yeah, so today my scream is actually a little bit more of a shout out. Um, Today, I wanted to give a shout out to my mom, who the week that we are recording this episode, it is actually her final week as a teacher because she is retiring. Now, yeah. Folks who've been with us since season one briefly met my mom during, I think, our fifth episode where she joined us to explain how and why she, as a middle school history teacher, liked to show national treasure to her students. And so as of this week, she has shown national treasure to her students one last time. And since she listens to our podcast, I just wanted to take this opportunity to say congrats, not just on your retirement, but also for inspiring students for the entire tenure of your teaching career. And hey, I know you're going to be bored, mom. So if you want to join the National Treasure Hunt team, you know where to find us. (laughs) You do. And speaking of where to find us, you can go ahead, Mrs. Parrish, you can find us here, but also all of our listeners can find us here as well on soundcloud itunes and spotify for your listening ears we are also on twitter and instagram at nt hunt podcast go ahead like subscribe rate review do whatever you can on all those platforms and you know just like let us know what you're thinking we absolutely love the conversations that we get to have with you um as you probably know by now aubrey is the fortunate one who gets to run the social media accounts but she does make sure to share all of the awesome interactions we have with you guys. So please continue to, you know, tell us what you think. Weigh in on this episode. Tell us, you know, which movie you think is better. Talk to me, guys. I I rely on your virtual friendship. And hey, if you want to match Emily's boyfriend or me right now, actually, fun fact, I too am wearing my Ask Me What's on Page 47 shirt, literally as we speak, head on over to our merch store on TeePublic and uh, get some goodies for yourself. Yes, ma'am. So with all of that said, I think it's time for us to dive into this epic comparison of National Treasure versus Ocean's 8. Emily, what is this episode going to break down to look like today so folks know what they're getting themselves into? 
Okay, guys. Well, we're going to start you out with uh, a quintessential summary of Ocean's 8, as only Aubrey and I can do. And then we are going to do a bit of a deep dive into three parts of the film and compare them to what we see in National Treasure. So we're going to be talking about the heists in the film. We're going to be talking about the characters. And lastly, we are going to be talking about the Popo, aka the federal agents that are involved in these films. How eloquently put. Couldn't have yes. said it better myself. So uh, let's just dive right in then. Everyone knows the, the summary of National Treasure at this point because hey if you don't like literally go listen to the preceding 20 plus episodes of our show um but what we haven't discussed yet is the plot of oceans eight so um i suspect this is going to be pretty entertaining for all of us because as you all know emily is questionably successful when it comes to names and plot lines (laughs) it's putting it that's putting it kindly i try i'm a kind person Yeah, so guys, uh, I watched this movie, just to give you a point of reference, like two days ago. Okay, so this is already where I'm at with it. But we start off with Sandra Bullock, whose character name I already forget. Uh, uh, okay, Sandra Bullock's character, the main character, I should I should clarify, is Debbie Ocean, like Debbie. The, name, the namesake of, of the movie. Yes, Debbie. So girl pal Deb over here is getting out of jail. She uh, is making quite a case for herself, promising that she's never going to steal things again. And as soon as she gets out, you find out she's like working with the person who's letting her out and is basically like, yeah, I'm going to go steal some stuff again. So that's cool. She meets up with her friend Lou, which I remember because it's an odd name for a woman. Patriarchy though? heteronormative that is heteronormative of me i apologize (laughs) it is a fine name for a woman it is not a name i was expecting uh for a woman but it did its job it helped me remember what her name was so great um and they hang out for a bit and are basically like yo let's go steal some jewels and they could basically concoct this whole plan to steal this one necklace, you think. And they need to get a bunch of people in on it because apparently they don't have the skill set to do it on their own because they're much more realistic about everybody's uh, abilities in this film than we are in National Treasure sometimes. And we recognize that everyone has unique things that they they can do. So we need to bring in a handful of people. We bring in uh, Kelly from the office who looks at the diamonds really closely. Aubrey's confused. Who's Kelly from the op- actor name? Question mark. What is what is her profession? What is her her skill set for the heist? She looks at the diamonds she looks at the diamonds like she's the one that inspects them to make sure they're real like she makes the jewelry like the the replacement yeah she 3d prints that okay mindy kaling yes yes her oh god this is gonna be fun kelly from the office mindy kaling is amita and she is basically a jeweler yes go on okay so they pull her in they get Aquafina up in there. Uh, I honestly kind of forget what she does, but she had a role. She's a pickpocket. 
Pickpocket, yes, because she steals like both of their watches when they're meeting her. Yes. Uh, they get Rihanna or Nineball, um, who is the tech person that smokes a lot of pot, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, they also get the housewife, who I do not know. Sarah Paulson. Sarah, Sarah Paulson. Paulson is Tammy. So yes, Tammy. she is a, a mom, but in the heist team, she plays the role of the fence. I did not know this was a term, um, but a fence is also known as a receiver, mover, or moving man, moving woman since patriarchy. Um, so you can like Google that if you want to know more. Continue. <laughs> um so yeah they have her um and then they are targeting Anne Hathaway yes Anne Hathaway who is Daphne Kluger a famous actress um and the reason that they're targeting her and how this whole heist is possible is because she is going to be hosting the Met Gala yes and to host the Met Gala you know you need some awesome fashion and jewelry and that's how they get the necklace on her body uh and they also get some clothing on her body that is provided by helena bonham carter uh who i forget what her name was in the film well we can all just call her bellatrix right sure if she had some accent that i wasn't sure what was happening it might have been irish at times it seemed like a new york accent <laughs> i wasn't quite clear her she's a fashion designer in this film and her name is rose wheel rose yeah and she it it's actually kind of bizarre there's a character trait here where she's like a disgraced fashion designer and so there's this whole thing where they have to convince daphne that that she wants this disgraced fashion designer to style her for this very prestigious night and Daphne's a little suggestible because she goes for it. Yeah, she's very uh, suggestible. She is very, I don't like this word, but kind of ditzy, mm-hmm. or so we think. I argue that she is, but yeah. The whole point is that she's not in the okay, end. Aubrey. Okay, Aubrey. Uh, okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Continue. And so basically they plan this whole thing at the Met Gala. There's another dude involved whose name I don't know. I don't know who the actor is. He's, he's unimportant. unimportant. <laughs> he's, just, he's, he's a guy that like she hooked up with. And, who's she? Uh, that uh, uh, Debbie, Deb, good old Deb hooked up with. And uh, it basically got her sent to jail. So she wants some revenge and we basically are able to somehow line up that this guy is going to be Anne Hathaway's date to the Met Gala. Anyway, things happen. There's a lot of movement to get this ball rolling and, you know, they get to the Met Gala and you basically see the heist take place. It's pretty cool. They replace the necklace with a fake necklace by having Anne Hathaway throw up in the toilet and then taking the necklace off her and then they find the fake one in the fountain which she wasn't even near so I'm like really confused about how people thought like that that could have been the real one you gotta like suspend your disbelief I guess um it's not that it's just that people are dumb 
they basically yeah. argued, oh, she, she, we're just going to say that it must have fallen off her neck while she was running to the bathroom because she was throwing, going to throw up. Yeah. So, they were just happy that they found their multi-million dollar necklace. Yes, they, they were very happy about or that. Or so they thought. And then we, you know, at the end of things, you know, get to the point where, hey, we've stolen the necklace. We've taken it apart, put it in multiple pieces. Kelly from the office helps with that in one of the bathrooms, takes it apart, distributes it up into different pieces of jewelry, which everybody walks out of the gala wearing. Um, and some has slipped into the pocket of our dude. That, our fall guy. Our fall yeah, guy that our doesn't fall guy <laughs> That Debbie hooked up with. Uh, and we basically get back to their place. We find out, you know, that they've stolen this thing. And then um, Anne Hathaway makes her way in and is like, yo guys, I'm not dumb. Still kind of is. I know what you're doing. I like recognized when you were like putting this necklace on me that you were like keeping track of how it was put on and stuff like that. I want a cut of this basically. So they're like, fine, you can have a cut of our profits. And then James Corden shows up randomly and he is like, yo, where are these jewels at? Because he's the, he's the insurance like investigator. Yeah. But like his main point is to be like, yo, where are these jewels at? I just want to find these jewels. Right. He doesn't care where he finds them. He just cares that he finds them. Yeah. And so he meets with a bunch of people. They all give him no information that is helpful. And then he meets with Debbie, at which point we find out that Debbie and him have a bit of a relationship. Uh, they, they go back a ways. And she basically tells him without telling him that she's the one that stole the necklace. <laughs> and if he wants in, all he has to do is basically blame the fall guy. No, 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 no. Yeah. Wants in? No, it's just, you want to find the necklace? I'll tell you where you can find it. Oh. No, doesn't she yeah. give him a little money? No. I thought she did because then they have a whole question about like, well, if you're splitting it up between this many people, then how are we, like, how is that actually working out? I think she gave him a little bit of the money. I am pretty confident she did not. No, because then they go back to their apartment and they're like, if we're splitting up the money this many times now, where's how the rest of it coming from yeah it's from the additional jewels that they no, stole. i know where it's coming from i was getting there i just meant that they were in the situation where she did they... not pay off james corden okay so james corden's just dumb and in this movie i don't know how he is as a human being um and gets no money for his service and then they reveal that they stole a bunch of other necklaces too. They pulled in some acrobat dude who can like move through lasers at the Met Gala and he stole a bunch of other jewelry and they basically get all this money and then everybody's happy and the movie ends with you rooting for the people who stole millions of dollars worth of jewelry, which I felt conflicted about. Really? I was conflicted that I was rooting for them, yes. I think they were so impressive. But before we talk about just our general impressions of the movie, can I give you my summary? Sure. Okay. So in Ocean's 8, which everyone should go watch because it is actually legitimately fantastic, you have a group of 
very talented women who come together to pull off probably the biggest heist of all time, stealing this Toussaint diamond necklace from the neck of a celebrity at the Met Gala. In the end, they are not only successful at stealing that, but they are able to steal innumerable other extremely valuable jewelry pieces that were on display at the Met at the time of the gala, getting away with it completely, framing a guy who had wronged the leader of the group. Deb. Debbie, correct. You got it. And they all basically live happily ever after, even though they've they've committed this crime. And so that's my summary. Um, it's good. I think mine was more entertaining, but right. nicely done. Thank you. Um, so I'm really glad you liked this. I find this movie to be really rewatchable, which is an early similarity that it has with National Treasure. <laughs> um, and not just because it's really entertaining and well put together, but there's so much going on that there will inevitably be at least a few bits and pieces that when you rediscover them on rewatch, you are just as excited to learn about as the first time you watched it. And I think that's what makes a movie really rewatchable. So number one, I really like that about this movie. I also really like just how good these women are at what they do. It's really satisfying. And it's also, I mean, I know some people might look at this and be like, oh yeah, they made them really good because they couldn't make women look bad because this is already like an all-female remake of a classic movie franchise. This is part of the Oceans franchise, right? Um, But I actually just really liked seeing them complete their heist without running into pretty much any difficulties. (laughs) Yeah, and even the ones they did, they like found a way to fix real quick immediately there were never you never got the impression that they weren't going to succeed oh yeah I was never concerned (laughs) and even I mean I don't know I remember the first time I watched this I actually saw it when it was in theaters I remember being like okay when's the other shoe gonna drop because this is like smooth sailing (laughs) um so yeah I'm glad you liked it and with that excellent background i think we can agree that if our listeners haven't seen this movie before they basically don't need to now yeah i mean i think i did a great job (laughs) um but with that let's start actually comparing oceans 8 to national treasure where did you want us to start here so i wanted to start by talking about the heist right because that's the whole reason we're doing this right so when we're thinking about heists from national treasure we're thinking about stealing the declaration of independence and kidnapping the president of the united states and obviously right. our, our, the heist in oceans eight is stealing all of this jewelry so i think it's really interesting because i think the heists are very comparable, but I think at the same time, they work on many different levels. So I'd be interested to hear your initial thoughts, Aubrey. Well, I think my initial impression is really just, I think something I alluded to, which is both of these movies, or I guess franchises, if you want to talk about both National Treasure films, all of these movies collectively set up these elaborate plans that pretty much 100% work, especially Mm -hmm. when you're considering the heist component of National Treasure specifically, right? So the stealing of the declaration and the kidnapping of the president. In some ways, 
those parts are the cleanest of the films. And so, you know, heist to heist, it I find them both really impressive. I think I think that's my initial takeaway. But actually something you just said also made me think the magnitude of the heist being accomplished while different in National Treasure versus Ocean's 8, it's pretty major across the board. Yeah, they both seem like completely unrealistic heists that are set up <laughs> that happen to work. Uh, one thing that I would say is I would argue that in Ocean's 8, they're actually a little more successful in stealing stuff. Um, I, you know, just because as, as you were alluding to, they didn't really run into any snags. Mm-hmm. But in National Treasure one we see ben get caught up when he's trying to take the declaration of independence out of the store and we see that he ends up having to pay for a fake copy of the declaration as well as the real copy think with the attendant basically thinking that he's buying two fake copies Mm -hmm. so he wasn't super successful in that and also he had abigail then like follow him right right that's true so like more people noticed what was going on and even when he kidnapped the president like yeah he kidnapped the president but everybody knew he kidnapped the president right right no that's that's a really good point actually thank you for sounding so surprised no i mean and i think we could go into great detail if we wanted to analyzing why that was the case you know why are there more trials and tribulations in national treasure? Is it just for plot? Is it, you know, are there ulterior motives or other things happening here? In a few minutes, I'm going to introduce a theory that he wanted Abigail to follow him. Um, so, you know, there could be different reasons for for different trials that they face. But I think you're right. It's It's far more smooth sailing for the Ocean's crew. And another thing that I noticed is, you know, so our oil pal Deb here, was in jail for five years she mentions when she gets out of jail that she had spent a lot of that time thinking about this plan Mm -hmm. so it basically took five years to develop the plan to steal these jewels and granted they put the team together in a relatively quick fashion but the plan development itself of her figuring out like what kinds of players she would need for the different positions and it took like five years while Ben and Co. took like maybe a day tops <laughs> to figure out how to steal the Declaration of Independence and how to kidnap the President of the United States. So I think it's it's interesting because as you were saying, they're both very high stakes uh, heists that are occurring, but the amount of time that goes into them is vastly different. Also very true. Which is interesting. It's interesting though, right? Because I would almost expect something like stealing the declaration to take that same amount of elaborate planning because I mean, the diamond necklace, once they get it out of the vault and onto someone's neck, like it's there, like you can touch it, right? It's like very tangible. Whereas the declaration, even once they get it into, I guess the equivalent of getting the diamond necklace out of the vault and onto someone's neck is sort of like getting the declaration out of the big vault and into the preservation room. Mm -hmm. But even in the preservation room, 
you you get the impression that it's it's less tangible. It's still in a box and down a hallway and security cameras and security guards and there's more steps. It feels like it should take a lot more effort there. Um, right. But there, I think there are a lot of other fun comparisons between these heists. Um, and I'm going to jump around in terms of my observations because they're sort of just coming at me the more I think. I'm going to jump to the end of the movies in this case. I think it's really fun that in both films you have a fall guy. This Especially when you're thinking about the first national treasure. Um, there's this aspect of revenge as like a secondary motivation in both of these heists for for Debbie Ocean, I think it's way more overt that revenge is, is a big motivator for her. And even her team kind of gets on her back about it a little bit, being yeah. like, stop running a job inside of a job. You're going to mess this up for all of us. But she succeeds. And the guy that, you know, really messed with her life by getting her sent to jail years ago, she gets her revenge on him because he becomes the fall guy. Whereas in, in National Treasure... Of course, the very last scene, someone's got to go to prison, Ben. And Ben says, you know, if you've got a helicopter, I can help with that. And Ben knows exactly where they sent Ian, who just happens to be breaking onto federal property in Boston at Old North Church when the FBI arrives and he becomes the fall guy for everything, even though, how sad is that? I mean, Ian didn't actually succeed at anything. He did not steal the declaration. That plan failed. He did not get the treasure. That plan failed. And yet he is in jail. So, I mean, to be fair, he did everything in a much more violent and illegal way like everything was illegal about what happened yeah but it was more illegal the way that Ian did it right 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 um another fun thing that I was thinking about and Emily I'm not sure if this rings a bell for you I'm not sure how much you actually pay attention to our social media but anyone who does follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast knows that I've joked a bit about how maybe in National Treasure 3, Ben could steal the Hope Diamond from the Smithsonian Natural History Museum, um, in part because I was sharing pictures from our 2015 trip to DC, and we spent a lot of time at the Smithsonian. We did. <laughs> and this the Hope Diamond is pretty incredible. So I, I just thought that that pretty joking suggestion of the hope diamond being a plot point in national treasure three like takes on this funny new meaning when you consider that oceans eight the whole point was capturing and and basically collecting the toussaint which is yet another infamous diamond necklace and hey fun fact because i know you like these sorts of things em mm -hmm. i was curious so i googled the toussaint i was like is this real there's no way this is real right and it turns out it is um or was oh. i should say it was a, a necklace that existed past tense um it was a necklace of colored diamonds which differs from the clear diamonds portrayed in the film and it was created in 1931 by cartier oh. um so that was also portrayed accurately in the film um and much like what ends up happening to it in the movie albeit under different circumstances in real life, the necklace was eventually dismantled and made into other pieces. Oh, I like that. That's cool. I know. It's it, it's a nod to our little 
um, assessing historical plot points in National Treasure, I think, where we like to be like, hmm, it's fun to wonder whether they made this reflect reality on purpose. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, I have another point that I want to share here. And this is something I think you'll be able to speak to a little bit, Emily. And, and that is that both National Treasure and Ocean's 8 focus really heavily on the importance of teamwork. Um, and each member of the team having a really unique skill set that is an essential asset for the heist that they're completing. Now, of course, it would be naive to suggest that the teams are comprised entirely analogously, right? I mean, Ocean's 8, the team is massive compared to the National Treasure team. Um, and I would say that the Ocean's 8 team also has a more diverse set of skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all really filling a distinct niche, whereas you might be able to argue that Ben and Abigail are a little bit redundant in their skill sets. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, I agree with that. Something that I, you know, thought about like right away when I realized how large the team was going to be for Ocean's 8 was that it's probably a bit more realistic Mm. in the recognition that they would really need people with such specific skill sets to be able to accomplish something of this magnitude. And without getting too much into it in this section, because we are going to jump in a minute into characters, you know, if you think about Ben, he seems like he has a little bit too much going on for him, right? We've talked about that a lot, how we enjoy the fact that they give him this laundry list of things that he's competent in, that he has degrees in, because it helps build out his character and helps explain why he can do all this stuff. But it's like almost too much for one person to have. Whereas in Ocean's 8, they split it up a little bit and it almost makes it seem more realistic. And I all I almost wonder if that's one of the reasons that Ben and his team run into more challenges and hurdles than the Ocean's 8 team does. And maybe one step further, maybe that's the damage of planning your heist in a day as opposed <laughs> to five years. It's the only problem. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have two more points on the heist that I want to share. They're a little bit more subtle, but hey, as you know, no comparison is too small when we are doing these episodes. (laughs) Um, One of them is the concept of the decoy or the replacement version of the object that's being stolen, especially in the first national treasure. You can't really create a decoy or fake president. Um, Although I would argue if they could have done that, it would have been more successful. Mm -hmm. Um, But jokes aside, in National Treasure, of course, as you already mentioned, Em, there's the replica Declaration of Independence that Ben buys in the gift shop. We are led to believe he didn't actually intend to buy that, but sort of realized in the moment that it would be a good idea. And this having this decoy buys him and his crew time to get away from Ian, who's chasing them at that point. Mm-hmm. In Ocean's Eight, of course, it's the fake Toussaint that Mindy Kaling makes 3D prints. Um, and of course, that buys the Ocean's Eight crew time to get away from the gala itself to really separate themselves from the scene of the crime to allow the authorities to discover that. that necklace is a fake and by that point they are well away from the scene 
Um, so I, I don't know if that's a, a fun coincidence or if maybe that's sort of an, of an essential point of any heist. I, I think, yeah. I mean, even if you think back to, you know, the classic Indiana Jones type thing, you know, he doesn't leave replicas of the treasures he finds, but you can think about, you know, whenever he's in one of the, like the traps that he's in, like the really common one that people think of is the, the thing that's booby trapped with weight where he takes the thing off and he has to replace it with something of similar weight and so it's not it's not the same because it's not uh, he's not leaving a replica of the treasure but in a sense like you have to leave something behind you Mm -hmm. you have to you know have something that's going to take the place of what you've done I think for it to be successful yeah I wonder and I'm not a heist movie buff by any means but I wonder, maybe this is a question for our listeners, are there any heist movies that you're aware of outside of the ones we're talking about today where this motif is conserved? Maybe the mark of a heist that is more likely to be successful is you know, having the decoy or the replacement. I'd be curious to know. So let us know on social media. Yeah. And the, what was your other point, Aubrey? Yeah, the other tiny tidbit is just that there's a gala in both National Treasure and Ocean's 8. And I mean, it's not just that there's a gala, but they, the gala is the scene of the heist in both films, which I think is actually pretty cool. It's pretty profound. Um, it Even just in the fact that because it's a gala, there's a very public event happening with lots of people around and it almost adds higher stakes to the situation because Mm -hmm. there's just that many more opportunities to get caught or be unsuccessful very true um i wish i could say that both galas were real (laughs) just because you know the met gala in oceans eight is real and they even use i don't know if you notice this they even use real footage from a past met gala that's why you see like the kardashians walking around and stuff oh no i legit thought they got those people to be in the movie no no that's like i mean you look at the outfits i mean maybe you wouldn't realize this if you don't follow like pop culture news but those what the what those celebrities were wearing were actual things they were wearing at a past met gala so they oh, wow. were yeah it's super cool I, I actually really loved that it added a, a, an added element of realism to again a situation that is otherwise really out there um and I, I thought that was a really nice touch in in Oceans 8. I'm sure the archives hosts all sorts of swanky stuff and probably has its own gala here and there so I'm just gonna tell myself that the gala in National Treasure was real too. There we go whatever you need to tell yourself Aubrey. Okay, guys, so I think it is time for us to jump into our second of three segments here. We are going to compare and contrast the characters from these movies. Now, Aubrey, I noticed that you have something that you'd like to start us off with on which I maybe might disagree a little bit. So let's yeah. let's get started here. Tell us what you think about um, two of the main female characters. Yeah, so... And this is interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm glad slash curious as to why you disagree because I really buy into this personally. I analogize Abigail Chase and Daphne Kluger. So again, Anne Hathaway, the actress character in Ocean's 8, um, in terms of their roles in these films, while recognizing that because the plots are so different, it's not a perfect analogy. But think about it. Both Abigail and Daphne become part of the heist 
in their respective films. Unwittingly, unknowingly, they were kind of roped in. It, you know, they weren't supposed to be part of the team from the get. Mm-hmm. And even so, they both then chose to stick around and help once they were clued into what's going on. You know, in some ways, Daphne, and I, this is probably the part you disagree with if I had to guess, I think in some ways Daphne comes off as more clever than Abigail just because Daphne was the one that figured out that the rest of the Ocean's team was using her. And she was playing them in a sense. Daphne was playing the team in a sense before the team knew that Daphne knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, I mean? you know, I do know what you mean. And I think you're correct in that she definitely is portrayed as being very clever in that sense. I think the thing that, and you know, I, I think on our last episode, I was talking about this a little bit when it comes to the the way that the story is written versus like mm-hmm. separating it from what the movie is itself. I think it, it gets a little tricky because I think that, you know, if you think about it, uh, Anne Hathaway was kind of the mark, mm-hmm. right, of the situation. So everything that they were doing with the necklace was happening like in and around her specifically like mm-hmm. literally she was figuring out that they were filming taking the necklace off of her neck because they were taking the necklace off of her neck mm-hmm. and I would argue that they don't you don't really see Abigail have a chance to be as involved in the aspects of the stealing of the Declaration of Independence in where she would have been able to show that cleverness um so I don't know that it's necessarily that she lacks the cleverness as much as I think, because I think that we're like, we're to believe that she definitely is a very clever character. Well, well I don't know that we're led to believe she's clever. We're led to believe she's super intelligent, which I think is a little bit different. Um, and that's fine. I, I agree with you. She doesn't really have an opportunity to show the cleverness if she does have it. However, I will take this one step further and ask, do you think Abigail would have even been suspicious of Ben as someone who might be trying to steal the declaration if he hadn't tipped her off in the champagne glass scene in the gala? I say no. She would have had no reason to suspect that. She accepted the gift earlier in the day. She wasn't weird about it. She picked it up. She fell right into his trap, right? She picked up the pin that was coated in the, you know, phosphorescent, you know, powder, went and visited the declaration when Riley set off the alarm. You know what I mean? She fell into the trap. If she had any suspicions, she would have been far more careful. So for all of those reasons, I don't think she would have had any reason to be suspicious of Ben, especially if she didn't see him at the gala. He could have totally just avoided her the whole time. You know, we learn later he needed her fingerprints, right? From from the glass. There are other ways he could have gotten it. He could have just been like, waiting in a corner for her to put down a glass and then gone and taken it. Or he could have just gone up to her and not been shady as all get out, right? In his interaction. So I, for that reason, I don't think she's as clever as Daphne. She's clearly very intelligent. I'm So I give her that 120%. But in terms of like figuring out what was going on around her, you got to give that one to Daphne. I hate to admit it, but I think you're right. You know how much I hate agreeing with you. 
so I'm just gonna leave it at that but fine okay let's move on from these characters let's go to Ben okay what what who do you think is similar to Ben okay well the obvious answer is the answer I'm going to give but it's going to be for more than an obvious reason Ben is obviously super analogous to Debbie Ocean as the ringleader and you know the conspirator really (laughs) um, putting the heist together in in these films but I think it goes deeper than that and Debbie Ocean and Ben Gates are actually way more similar than we might think upon immediate inspection and so I think a really good indicator of this is actually a quote from Ocean's 8 and it's an exchange between Lou and Debbie and Lou asks why do you need to do this and she's of course referring to this huge heist right after she gets out of jail and Debbie simply responds because it's what I'm good at and the reason I like this quote so much is Number one, you could quite literally imagine the same exact exchange fitting seamlessly in National Treasure. Oh, yeah, I can I can see it. I can see it. Okay, continue. I mean, specifically between like Sadusky and Ben or Abigail and Ben before Abigail's fully on board, etc. But the reason I think this quote is so telling, besides the fact that it's literally interchangeable between the movies is what the quote signifies. And spoiler alert, it really signifies to me that the motivation of Debbie Ocean and Ben Gates is eerily similar. Um, In Debbie's case, she actually wants the money, right? So that's the biggest difference between these movies. Yeah, she has the wrong reasons. But she has a passion for this heist life as evidenced by this quote not only that you also get the sense especially i think for people who are well versed in the full oceans franchise and considering the final scene where she's at her brother's grave who i think is supposed to be george clooney's character in like other oceans movies was either george clooney or brad pitt i couldn't remember which one yeah i don't i this is literally the only oceans movie i've ever seen and i'm totally okay with that um but given that scene as well there's a huge family aspect at play for her she's in a way like trying to make her family proud she's doing this she learned this skill set from them and she loves it okay and so it's a different skill set right it's you know bad boys for life hashtag or bad girls for life in this case but there's really this love of the hunt that's inspired by her family and i argue is that not literally exactly what ben is doing we've talked about it time and time again you know he's vindicating his family I mean, that's a huge part of this, the family aspect, but especially as we discussed in our last episode, he's really motivated by and inspired by his family as well. And the deep history that his family has tracking down this treasure and being a part of shaping American history. His family is his entire sense of purpose. I I just, I think they're so similar. There's one other quote, Emily, and I I pulled these quotes for you since I know you appreciate quotes for much. There's one other quote that I could imagine being literally copy pasted from Ocean's 8 into National Treasure. And this is an exchange between James Corden's character and Debbie Ocean. And he says, 
is it genetic? Is the whole family like this? And she says, literally. <laughs> is that not also copy pasteable into National Treasure? Yeah, I'd argue it's a little less so because, well, and I think we got into this a little bit before too. We don't really know the backstory that much of uh, Ben's dad's character. So we don't know, you get the, you get the impression from like the second film that maybe he was a little bit into the treasure hunting and that like caused a rift in his marriage. But I don't know that Ben necessarily like learned the treasure hunting game from his dad. Maybe not his dad, but we are absolutely supposed to believe that the entire generations of Gates family has been in on this hunt with maybe the exception of his father for his, you know, middle of his life. Yeah, that's true. Um, so yeah, that is, uh, that is my assessment of Ben Gates versus Debbie Ocean. Um, but now Emily, I actually want to flip the script and have you strike up a comparison for us because at this point we've talked about two thirds of the national treasure heist team. And the one person we have left is your favorite character of Riley. And I think the most direct analogous character for Riley in Ocean's 8 would have to be Nineball, so Rihanna's character, because they are the hackers, the techies of their respective heists. So I would love for your thoughts on a comparison between Riley and Nineball. Yeah, so I think that's great. And I this is going to come off as sounding rude, but I don't mean it to be. I think that's a very good surface level comparison of the two characters. I think yes, completely. If you're just going based on, you know, what their like major role is in these heists, definitely Nineball and Riley are the two comparable ones. But I would say they're only really alike in the fact that they're both the ones that do the tech stuff so the camera stuff is the same with both of them right like you we have scenes in both movies where they're literally manipulating security camera footage to make it seem as though no one is there when someone is actually there and you know you see nine ball taking advantage of all of the kind of like hidden what was the there was like that really funny exchange that happened between the security guard and James Corden where he was like talking blind spots he was talking about the blind spots and he was like can we please stop calling the blind spots um all the blind spots that uh they were taking advantage of in Ocean's 8 something that I think is different about them is that nine ball isn't quite played up as as much of a comical character as Riley is you get in the very beginning when she's first introduced you definitely get some of that comedic stuff in there right when they like like uh flash the camera back to her around the corner and she's just like lighting up some pot or whatever a joint um um hip so you see her doing that and that's that's a bit of comedy but i you know I don't really see the same level of comedy that i do with riley and i think that this is honestly because you know, we saved him for last, which is, you know, you save the best for last is obviously great. But I think Riley's kind of playing the role of multiple characters. Oh. He's fitting multiple roles from the team. 
So I would argue that he's kind of the Helen Bottom Carter, or Rose, of National Treasure as well. She's kind of aloof about a lot that's going on, right? Like they pull her in and they get her to do this stuff, but the whole time she's kind of like not really sure that she's doing exactly what she should be doing. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, when she pulls out her phone camera and starts videoing them taking off the necklace, that's the moment when you're like, oh, wow, she actually like is, she's in it. She's aware of what's happening. And Riley is definitely played like that as well he's played as being a little aloof he's I would argue it's a little different because Helena Bonham Carter Rose never really earns her role on the team like at the end of the movie you're still kind of left wondering like could they have done this without her uh which like they couldn't have I mean they could have with like anybody else who was a fashion designer probably Uh, They didn't need her specifically. They just needed someone to fill that role. So I don't think that she specifically brought that much to the team. But I think that when you look at Riley as being kind of this comedic, somewhat aloof character, you know, he does have all of these redeeming qualities about him where he really does, you know, you come to the end of the film and you're like, oh, well, you literally could not have done this without Riley being there, right? Instrumental. And then uh the housewife character oh sarah paulson's character uh Mm -hmm. what's her name again it was sarah paulson is (laughs) tammy tammy yeah so go all tammy i think is the character that was most relatable to the audience oh totally and you know that's because she's a housewife you see her with this normal life which is something that we have viewers we can understand compared to like a life of robbing places or hacking computers. I mean, maybe some people can (laughs) uh, compare their lives to that, but I I personally can't. So I think that she's the most comparable to the audience. And, you know, as we've, we've talked with both uh, Charles and Oren, we know that Riley really was meant to be the character who kind of was a stand in for the audience. And I think that, in many ways, Tammy would definitely be the character if this were like Parks and Rec or The Office or even Modern Family, who was like looking at the camera a lot, being kind of like, what in the world is happening right now? And I feel like a lot of times that's Riley, except it's obviously not with the direct to camera. Yeah, because it's not a sitcom, but totally, totally. And So then the other thing that I want to, you know, say kind of about Riley to, you know, give him a little bit of credence, he's taken on all these roles, he's got a lot going for him, he really takes on more responsibility than any of the individuals in the Ocean's 8 team do. Mm -hmm. If you think about, you know, and this goes back to us saying that, you know, they pull in many more characters with very, very specific skill sets, which arguably you know might be why that heist went over a little better than the one that you would see in national treasure because we're not relying on you know three people to have all of the skill sets needed but you know at the end when you find out in oceans eight that they're they stole the other jewels as well you see that they brought in this whole other dude who was like that acrobat man who like swung through the lasers and stuff And, like, Riley definitely wouldn't have been the person who was, like, swinging through the lasers. 
but he was definitely in charge of laser-like things in National Treasure, if I remind you of the heat sensors (laughs) and the laser that he needed to use to set off the heat sensors in the Declaration of Independence case when it was on display. He was the one that was in charge of the lasers, so he definitely had a lot more going for him than any of these characters did individually. Wow. I say this in the least condescending way possible because I really don't mean it that way, but I know it's going to come off that way for some reason. That was an incredible analysis. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That was way more than I bargained for when I was like, okay, well, Emily likes Riley and Riley's the last one we have left and he and Nineball are tech people. So go. So mm, kudos and many thanks. Uh, and I think that wraps up our section on the characters, which leaves us to, in Emily's ever so eloquent phraseology, our section on the popo. Yeah, gotta get them popo. <laughs> okay, well, I think this is uh, going to be pretty straightforward, but this, of course, is relating to the federal authority figure ish in each of these films. Of course, in National Treasure, we have the worst, Agent Sadusky, who is uh, of the FBI. So he's actually a federal authority. And in Ocean's 8, we have once again, James Corden's character, who quite literally, I don't know his name. He's just James Corden. I'm looking it up right now. (laughs) In case anyone is interested, his name for his character is John Frazier. And as we discussed, he is technically an insurance fraud investigator. In either case, what these characters initially have in common is they are sent in to try to derail our protagonists and our teams from being able to successfully complete their heists. And I would argue that there is a pretty similar relationship between the protagonists, so Ben Gates or Debbie Ocean, and this authority figure in both of these films. So to some extent, both of these authority figures are the ones that are like actually playing the fool, aside from the fall guy in, in the films, right? The, the fall guy is obviously a fool. The secondary fool is, funnily enough, the authority figure. The protagonist is, con- in both cases, the protagonist is shown to be just far smarter and ahead of the curve, at least on the surface level, compared to the authority mm-hmm. figure. Um, However, it should be noted that both of the authority figures have a personal relationship with the protagonist. In National Treasure, this is especially true for the sequel, for Book of Secrets, right? Because Mm -hmm. Ben and Sadusky already have a relationship that was established in the first film, and there's definitely a level of respect between Ben and Sadusky. I mean, after all, Sadusky was the one that told him that the president's book exists, so there's a relationship there. And as you mentioned, Emily, in your eloquent summary early on in this episode Debbie Ocean and James Corden have a relationship based on the history of the Ocean family and the many heists that they have pulled so they actually meet in a coffee shop to talk the the coffee shop scene in Ocean's 8 is the exact same as the duck pond scene you know do you like ducks in national treasure too right do i ever (laughs) i know you do because there's a lot of pictures of ducks in uh in your photos from our national treasure hunt trip i like taking pictures of ducks (laughs) i mean i love ducks but it's interesting that you bring that up aubrey because i think that 
you know, my initial thought was that I think that James Corden seemed to have more of a relationship with Debbie than Sadusky did with Ben. But the way you've just phrased it makes me think of it a little differently. I think it's really interesting the way that the movie was written and the way that the characters were written that with like that was literally their first interaction in Oceans 8 that we see them on screen together and you already get the sense that there is a there's an understanding oh yeah there and there's a relationship whereas in National Treasure we had to see that be built kind of over the course of two films yeah and it gives the impression that the one relationship is closer even if that's not the case For sure. And it's one of those things, too, where you could compare and say, well, you have the entire lore of the multi-film Oceans franchise to kind of build up to this. Whereas we can agree that Oceans 8 is a standalone movie in itself, it still, you know, builds upon some of these aspects. National Treasure only has two movies to get it done as of now. Right. Fingers crossed. Give us (laughs) National Treasure 3. Gotta say it at least once an episode. Um, And so I think that lends itself to some of these differences in character and relationship development, but you're absolutely right. And I also think that because of these personal relationships between the protagonists and the authority figures, there's never a question as to whether Ben or Debbie actually did the heist. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. It's known. Like it is, there's never a doubt in the mind. It's always known that they did it. And I think that's really funny, but it also works because ultimately in both cases of Sadusky and, um, and James Corden, they both just care that someone takes the fall. It's clear that they don't really care who, which I would argue <laughs> makes a lot more sense for James Corden's character. Cause again, he's not a cop. He's not an yeah. FBI agent. He's just the insurance fraud investigator. It's more allowable. <laughs> it's absolutely more allowable. Whereas Sadesky, the FBI agent, shouldn't just be willing to send somebody to prison, Ben. <laughs> right? That's true. That's very true. And <laughs> on that note, I think uh, really something that you'll love as a way to wrap up this section is that I think that James Corden's character is much more likable than Sadesky's character, personally. Now, I just kind of, it might be because I just kind of like James Corden because he was in Doctor Who for an episode. So I just have like this like weird attachment to him. But uh, I think like we can both agree. He's definitely seems like you know, neither of them are stand-up guys because they're both letting people get away with stuff they shouldn't be getting away with. But as you just so eloquently described, you know, he has more of a reason to be okay getting, like, letting Debbie get away with the stuff that she gets away with. So I think James Corden's character is definitely more likable than Sadusky, keeping Sadusky on the same level that he always is in this podcast. Which is the worst. And hey, I don't even think this is bias coming out, to be completely honest with you. I think that's because Sadusky is portrayed as very serious. Mm. He, we are supposed to be like, okay, this guy is doing his job. He is a federal agent and we are re- reacting to him as we would any federal agent in real life. Now, it just so happens that when you analyze the movie, he comes off as really dumb, but he's still very serious. Whereas at least in James Corden's case, his character has a lot of added humor written into his role. And the way they portray him and the way they sequence his scenes is also very humorous and it makes him more likable, I think. So I completely agree with you. Shocker. Awesome.
So I think that is our three section comparison of National Treasure and Oceans 8. And so as we conclude every one of these comparison episodes, which we hope you've enjoyed up to this point, I get to now ask Emily to be the arbiter here. In the battle of National Treasure versus Oceans 8, which is the better heist film? Go. Ooh, I didn't know you were going to ask it that way. Oh, which is the better heist film? The better heist film, I have to say, is Ocean's 8. And that's mainly because it is in full a heist film. So they have enough time to really go in depth on the heist itself. I definitely really enjoy the heist part of the National Treasure films. Ocean's 8 is what National Treasure would be if the if if the Declaration of Independence was the treasure, if the whole yes. movie was planning how to steal the Declaration of Independence and that was Endgame. Yes, yes. And I think we, we definitely get we definitely get like scenes um of the heist and building up to the heist, but we don't get as much development of the plan in as much detail in National Treasure as we do in Ocean's Eight. So I think from that respect, which movie is the better heist movie? gonna have to go with Ocean's 8 on this one but that is not in any way to disparage the brilliant heist of stealing the Declaration of Independence or kidnapping the President of the United States not that we would ever consider doing such things just in case anybody from the FBI is listening I actually completely agree with you that Ocean's 8 is the better heist film for literally the exact same reasons you just said but your response begs the question of what question did you want me to ask you about comparing the two films I thought you were just going to ask me which film was better. And like, as a better film, I think National Treasure wins that because I think it has more things in it. You know, as you know, we've covered before, we have the uh, treasure hunt part of it. We have the heist part of it. We have the love story part of it. There was no love story in Ocean's 8, may I just say. Um, it lost mad points for you in that regard I know (laughs) but there's so much going on in National Treasure that I think it overall is a better film uh than Ocean's 8 is but so that that's what I that's where I thought that's where I thought you were going no I'm glad that you said that but because you're right National Treasure is way more complex whereas Ocean's 8 I feel is like a pretty pure feel-good film National Treasure leaves you feeling good at the end, but there's so much more roller coaster action in the process that it's way more complex and gives you more of like a complete film vibe. Although I will reiterate my point from earlier on, I find them both to be extremely rewatchable. Yes, yes, very much so. And I look forward to rewatching it. So thank you, Aubrey, for introducing me to another fantastic film. And as we wrap up this episode, Aubrey, I think it's time for you to tell us what our listeners have to look forward to in two weeks' time. Yes. So we do hope you all enjoyed this fun comparison episode and that you go check out Ocean's 8 if you haven't already. In our next episode, we are coming at you with one of our other classic genres of episode, if you will, which will be one of our historical deep dives 
on a component of the National Treasure film franchise. And this time we're going to be circling way back to the first National Treasure film and doing an examination of the Silence Do Good letters, which, yes, were once real. And you're going to learn all about that and probably more than you ever wanted to know when you come back to National Treasure Hunt for our next episode. But in the meantime, you're going to want to chat with us online. Tell us what you thought about this episode and about Ocean's 8. And Emily, want to do the honors? Tell them where. You can, 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 fine, 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 fine. Us, us, us. And yes, I do this just because Aubrey rolls her eyes at me every time. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. You can also find us to listen to on SoundCloud, Spotify, or iTunes. Go ahead and give us a five-star review on iTunes if you're feeling like it. And go ahead and rate and review us on whatever other platforms you can. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram. As you know, Aubrey is the one at the helms, but I do get to have a say as well. So if you agree with me about the state of these movies, let me know. Uh, let us know your, your thoughts. And, you know, like Aubrey said, if you haven't watched Ocean's 8, go ahead and check it out. And let us know what you think of it in comparison to National Treasure. And real quick, if you want to represent the hunt, go ahead and head over to our T Public store to get yourself some National Treasure Hunt merch. We have t-shirts, we have notebooks, we have stickers, pretty much anything you want with National Treasure Hunt logo on it, you can get. And I have nothing more to say. That was uh, quite the conclusion. So we look forward to you joining us next time for our deep dive on the Silence Do Good Letters. And until then... I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our national treasure hunt.